Let us pray. For gracious God, we come now to seriously consider your word. And I just pray, Lord, that you um, help us to actively listen and to critically think. And that you take the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart and make them wholly yours. That together we might grow in our capacity to radically love as we've been radically loved. All this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Who are you when your identity is put to the test? Now this night, almost 2,000 years ago, the identities of Jesus' disciples would be put to the test. There was Judas Iscariot. Judas was one of the most trusted disciples. That's why he was the treasurer of the group. And yet when he revealed his true identity, he showed the world that he didn't believe in the divine mission of Jesus the Christ. You see, Judas wanted Jesus to use his power to overthrow Roman rule. And when Judas didn't get his way, he sold Jesus out. There was Peter. Peter was renamed from Simon to Petros. Peter, which means rock. Upon Peter, the rock, Jesus promised to build his church. Peter, who was impetuous and at times violent, made great boasts around the table and to Jesus. Jesus, I would never betray you. Jesus, I would die for you. But when he revealed his true identity, he showed the world that he was a coward. For when a young girl questioned Peter about his connection with Jesus by the light of a campfire, Peter said, I do not know him. Then there was John, the youngest of all the disciples and perhaps the closest to the Lord. When Jesus was arrested, it was John who followed closely. He disappeared into the shadows, but he never lost sight of Jesus. And when the time came for the Lord's crucifixion, it was only John and the women who stood at the foot of the cross. John made no great boasts. He knew who Jesus was, and John knew who he was in Jesus Now, on Sunday, I shared with you one of my favorite passages of Scripture. It comes from Paul's letter to the Philippians, and it reads like this. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. See, as Christians, we're called to work out our salvation, to wrestle with what it means to be saved by and perfected in Grace. I believe one of the greatest struggles with understanding our identity in Christ is the concept that so many of us wear like a badge of honor. Tell me if you've ever heard or ever said this. I am a sinner. When it comes to the matter of your spiritual identity, do you consider yourself a sinner or a saint? Now, the concept of sin is absolutely necessary in the process of salvation. In fact, it is the work of the Holy Spirit which calls people out of the world and convicts them of their sin. 
Of course, Romans 3.23 reminds us for all of sin that falls short of the glory of God, right? Sin is the human condition. And it's more than simply bad behaviors. Sin is also more than breaking God's law. Sin is our frailty. Sin is our mortality. It is our natural or fallen human state. So how many times have you heard it said or said to yourself, I'm just a sinner saved by grace? I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Now, don't anybody throw any tomatoes at me here, but what if I told you that's bad theology? What if I said that a Christian saying, I'm just a sinner saved by grace, is like a butterfly saying, I'm just a worm with wings? We cannot simultaneously be sinner and saint. Either we have been saved by grace and the grace of God, or we have not. And if we have been saved by the grace of God, then we must rely on the words of Holy Scripture to teach us about our new identity. Perhaps I was a sinner, but by grace I've been saved and I am no longer enslaved to my old life. This is why Paul writes, Therefore, If anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. We're new creations. We're a new species. God is no longer dealing with us on the basis of our sin. We're forgiven forever. But even though the Spirit of God comes into our souls and makes us new, we still reside in our old body. Thus, we struggle with the effects of sin, and we will, as long as we remain in this body. Those of you that know my last appointment was up in Sillins Grove, I used to tell folks there, this body's been made by Middlesworth. (laughs) We had Middlesworths at the church, too, so they appreciated that and kept me fed with Middlesworth. But if we choose to only think of ourselves as sinners, we run the risk of actually binding ourselves up in a lie. And if we bind ourselves up in a lie, we might become resistant to the very grace that saved us. Then we're no longer going to be working out our salvation with fear and trembling. Rather, we're going to risk fearing and trembling away the grace of God that offers us salvation. We might, like Judas, become so disillusioned with who Jesus is that death is our only alternative to not receiving the grace that we've been given. So tonight, as you consider your identity, I ask, are you resistant or reconciled? Resistant or reconciled? Paul writes, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Now, this word obviously is important to me. (laughs) Trying to prove a point there, so it's underlined, right? The Greek there also means to reestablish or restore This is what God has done. He has restored a relationship that is broken. 
God has reestablished the race relationship with humanity that we broke with him. And he did it through the sacrifice of his son, which satisfies God's nature of justice and holiness while also satisfying God's nature of radical and generous love. If you're a new creation in Christ, then you are a saint who has been reconciled. Notice that it is we who are reconciled and God who does the reconciling. That's how grace works, y'all. We can't make ourselves new creations. It is God alone who accomplishes this, and it is in this reconciling that God commits within us the message of reconciliation. Now, we can resist reconciliation like Judas did, or we can allow reconciliation to be committed unto us, as did Peter. For when the cock crowed, Peter wept bitterly, but he didn't end it all. And when he was given the chance by Jesus to be reconciled, Peter accepted. All the disciples, except for John, were on some level resistant to who Jesus was, which I think makes me feel better. That's why they were nowhere to be found during the Passion. John, however, was there for it all. He witnessed the Passion. He saw the beaten, half-dead Jesus carry his own cross up Skull Mountain. He heard the pounding of large spikes into the wrists and feet of Jesus, splitting open the seams of the Lord's flesh, separating muscle from sinew, turning the Lord's subcutaneous flesh into jelly, and yet not one was broken. He saw the dying, nearly naked God-man hoisted into the air on his cross, and he watched as the weight of his own body began suffocating his lungs. And before the God-man breathed his last, Jesus gave the lone and loyal disciple a lifetime commission. John, take care of my mama. And mama, take care of John. Friends, we are called to be ambassadors of Jesus, not spectators. We're called to be ambassadors, not spectators. John was not a spectator of the passion and crucifixion of Jesus. He was the first ambassador. For when he encountered the empty tomb, he knew immediately Jesus had risen from the dead, just as Jesus said he would. John was already a new creation. He understood understood intimately who Jesus was and who he was in Jesus. And in the days following the resurrection, the rest of the twelve would be reconciled to God, themselves becoming new creations. They would be transformed from resistant spectators to reconciled ambassadors. And they would begin the lifelong process of working out their salvation with fear and trembling until the point where every single one of those disciples turned apostles gave their own life. You see, the disciples were no longer sinners trapped in the throes of grief and self-doubt. They were new creations born again through resurrection and spirit. And Paul reminds us that we are like them. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. 
we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive this grace in vain. Listen. If you tuned out, you can tune back in now. Listen. The sins and weaknesses of our flesh, they do not define us. They don't define us. You're no longer a sinner saved by grace. You're a new creation that God uses to showcase His glory. So don't receive God's grace in vain. Because God takes the broken pieces of our lives those ugly parts of our former selves that we don't like and, and those parts that we're still struggling with and we'll probably always struggle with until we see Jesus face to face. He takes all those different parts and pieces and He glues them together with His grace. And then He makes each one of us like a stained glass window through which His glory shines. God does this because God is in the business of changing people's identities. He changed Abram to Abraham. He changed Jacob to Israel. He changed Simon to Peter. Sinners to saints. Resistant to reconciled. Spectators to ambassadors. Now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the time that we come to the table of God's blessing. Tonight, we will once again join Jesus at his table. Will you come to the table tonight only to leave the Lord's presence and hide in the shadows? Or will you soak in the truth of your new identity in Christ? Will you allow God to take the brokenness of your human flesh and mend it in such a way that in your living you will offer his reconciliation to others? Friends, we are not just sinners saved by grace. The Lord has made us new creations, reconciled to Him through the blood of His Son, so that our lives might be ambassadors of His grace. May we gather at the table tonight to be reminded of and strengthened in our true identity. And may we go forth with the purpose of being an ambassador of God's grace. And this is his word, seriously considered this Monday, Thursday, for his glory and for our growth. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.